Welcome to Aesthetics Mastery, the podcast to help you thrive and raise the bar in your aesthetics practice. I'm Dr. Adam Chong. And I'm Dr. Tim Pierce. Tim Pierce is the founder and director of SkinViva Skin Viva Training and also a general practitioner. And uh, Dr. Adam is also a general practitioner, an aesthetic practitioner and a trainer at SkinViva Training. Great. So it's nice to have you back, Tim. You've been away for the weekend. Where have you been? Yes, yeah, so we, uh, Dr. Ahmed and I were lucky enough to be invited by someone we trained. We both met the same doctor who's from Hungary and uh, she had this idea that it would be great if we came to her clinic and did some training for her. And she then um, upped the stakes a little bit by asking Alagan if they would sponsorship, sponsor it. And Alagan loved the idea of this and then invited 14 Hungarian doctors to come to the same training nice. session. So uh, we went from thinking we'd have a nice little cheeky um, weekend break with some training, was mainly training, to suddenly having a, a high stakes um, <laughs> representing our country in a foreign country. <laughs> uh, but it was really great. And, uh, and I must say, I hope uh, Dr. Bernadette listens to this, but we had the, the hospitality was incredible. I mean, they really did put a lot of thought and care into, into what the experience was for us. I mean, I really felt like I got a great flavor of what Hungary uh, is like. Saw so a really beautiful country and really beautiful city which i'd recommend anyone if you get the chance to go you should go were these aesthetics doctors already practicing or newbies um they've already been practicing for a long time i would say that the the market there is is very different to ours it's um they're they're basically only doctors are allowed to inject and uh i still i actually think they're they're still for example if i give you an example they they Mm -hmm. struggle to get highlights so bernadette's gone to big efforts to source it from other countries to to make sure they've got it so they're a little bit um uh, kind of have have more progress to make in that area um and I, I i wouldn't i didn't know i don't know if i got a lot of flavor for what else they do because we didn't we were mainly delivering information um but very intelligent um and obviously doing well um but there's i, th- I feel like it's a small it's a much smaller industry mm-hmm. in fact i can give you one stat which shows you how small the industry which is the uh, they happen to mention how many vials of Botox they sell, and it's 800 a month. And I think our clinic, that's for the whole country. No way. <laughs> so we, ha- we in this country, in, the, in our business, get through nearly over 100 or something. So we'd be a great, a big portion of the country, which wow. we're definitely not in the UK. Okay. I'm sure it's going to keep growing uh, as it is in every country though, isn't it? Yeah, um, absolutely. And they're keen to learn. And I must also, I, I think in terms of delivering value for other people, Bernadette is amazing at seeing an opportunity and going for it full, mm. full on. Like she doesn't do a little bit of training and then leave it for six months. Like she has been relentless, and she's basically going to come out of this probably as the as the Aragon ambassador mm. for Hungary, mm. which is amazing. That we you know we started on on our foundation course eight nine months ago, um, and now she's done lots of training with us. This full two days with Aragon, she's now she's now the top <laughs> in her country. But she she does this by going all in she's done it with ZO as well okay uh, and it's, it's an interesting thing I think people would be like like to hear is how does someone go from from not knowing much to being top of their field well you go all in and you learn everything and mm. you interact with people and you you know you get involved with the reps and it'll be hard in this country because it's such a developed market but uh, certainly we can all learn from her her bravery and her um, courage to just really go for it what were you and Ahmed teaching on the the weekend so for the we did um, periorbital advanced periorbital so that's partly tear trough but all the things that go with it so temples forehead um, cheek um, part of the MD codes um, obviously there's a formula around that that you can use the MD codes mm. to re- restore different parts of the face and then Armour did uh, chin and jawline 
which is also a big thing um, in Hungary as well. It seemed to be, um, it seemed to break relatively recently here, kind of a year ago or something, and it's the same there. So, um, so yeah, we demonstrated two cases each, and then we also did a day of one-to-one -one training uh, where we did everything, which was really good fun. I love those days. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. Okay, so today we are going to talk about lumps in the lips. So hopefully this will be a topic which resonates with a lot of people because um, I think it's something brought up on the forum quite a lot, isn't it? Um, lump, we see pictures all the time of, of lumps there and I think there is some confusion as to what exactly the causes are and how we should manage them. Yeah, um, you, if you're going to treat lips, you're going to get lumps in lips. Um, so you must know how to manage them. So this is a really good topic to discuss and hopefully we'll bring some clarity to those who listen but you there is no way that you're going to get through your aesthetics career without getting a lump they're probably mm. the most common side effect after treating lips that are a little bit tricky sometimes i understand lips is of all the areas of the face is probably the most likely area to get lumps i think under the eye is quite a common area as well but is that because of the um the the thickness of the skin or is it the is it because it's a very dynamic area so as in there's more sort of trauma after injection do, you, do we know what the cause um, is yeah i think both of those reasons will be part of it um i think I, I always think about the the flora inside the mouth and how much of a difference that's likely to make because no matter how much how many clinal wipes you get through there's still patients are very likely to, to lick their lips almost immediately after the procedure and and then you've got bacteria with an open open hole there just isn't there isn't a way of keeping it entirely sterile. Mm. So that must play a role. The sensitivity must play a role. The fact that you don't, even a small lip is much more noticeable. A small lump in your lip is much more noticeable. Yeah. Um, and the volumes of product in a small space, if you actually think about how much filler you put in, in a top lip compared with, a, you know, you put the same half of that amount, often you might put in a cheek treatment mm. and that's buried under fat and lots of skin and, yeah. and it's spread out a bit more. So the volume of product must play a role as well. Okay, so where would you like to start with, with this topic? Well, it's a, it's a very um, GP place to start, which is history taking. And, uh, and th the thing that I, as a junior doctor, learned quite rapidly, which is, I, I don't know if you remember this happening to you, Adam, but you go up to your reg and you, you, you panic, basically. You're like, you know, FY1 or something, and you're in A&E, and there's some guy comes in with, with sort of upper abdominal pain, and you just go running to him with the presenting complaint and go... I've got a patient here with upper abdominal pain. Uh, I was wondering if I'd have your advice. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Start the Hold beginning. on, Sonny. Yeah, yeah, and I remember this happening. Um, you know, usually these things have to happen two or three times before you think, oh, I realize I've got to do this every time. <laughs> yeah. And you start at the beginning and you get the, you get the picture of who the patient is and what their background is and how old they are so that you, you can build a mental um, image in your head. But what I think what practice, practitioners don't seem to realize is that process of developing the, the narrative of your patient, um, even when you're not going to tell anyone about it, that is 90% of diagnosis. Once you've got the entire story, you'll probably have the diagnosis as mm. well. And I feel like people panic right at the beginning. They think, oh, I've never had a lump before. Mm. And they, they don't start to build the picture. So yeah. if, unless you've built the picture, you'll find it bewildering and you just panic and you think it's the worst thing. Yeah. You're going, you take a picture and you put it in a forum and say, please help me. Yeah. Uh, and actually the best thing to do is to start at the beginning and start to draw a picture of the whole process that patient has been through. And probably 90% of the time you'll have the answer before you've even asked anyone about it. Yeah, because they do say in medicine, history taking is 80, 90% of, 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 of everything, isn't it? To getting to that diagnosis. Yeah. Examination is just a tiny proportion. So I like what you said, building a narrative. 
yeah. of your patient. Um, being systematic, I'm assuming, every, every time, making sure you go through all these different bits, which I'm sure you're going to talk about now. Yeah. So history taking. S- simple stuff is just, just, as I say, building a picture of the patient in your mm-hmm. mind. So if you could describe the case to someone over the phone and they would, they'd be interested in it because they'd understand the importance of it. So it'd be something like, I, you know, I had a, a 22-year-old girl. Immediately you've got an image in your head that's different to I had a 56-year-old man. And the types of risks associated with those two pictures are mm-hmm. immediately, they kind of jump to your head about what it could be. Yeah. So you might you, you start with their age, their sex. Um, you might then talk about uh, medical problems. So you'd say, you know, 28-year-old uh, female with no medical history um, who had a procedure. And then you then you, you start to talk about when that was relative to it. You're obviously going to think about allergies and um, medication. So all of that should come in. And I, what I like to also think about is psychological state. You know, I love psychology. But if you've got a 56-year-old really laid back man who um, has a you know had his procedure yesterday and just has a bit of a lump like I might actually more likely want to see that person than the neurotic you know 23 year old who has a lump in exactly the same way because because I'm thinking is he too laid back to actually want to bother me you know it is it's like this in GP a lot isn't it yeah you have your you know the late the, presenters the, yeah the 70 year old who yeah. comes in who's like lost half his body weight and has a massive tumor who's like yeah just wondering if this is anything to worry about or should my wife sent me in and you're mm. like wow that you really are laid back <laughs> yeah so does that change how you give your advice your aftercare to, depending on the the type of patient that you've got in front of you yeah yeah it does um i've learned the hard way that having a um a kind of scientific mindset is you, you, you're, you're always open to other possibilities. So if, you, if you're very sciencey, you tend to talk about probabilities. Now it's probably not something to worry about. It's not a reassuring statement to an anxious person. Hmm. So you, uh, I've, I've learned that you need to be more certain with certain people. Uh, and um, and that, that basically decreases anxiety. So the classic one is they read about filler blindness or something and, and they, they'll ring back like two days later and, and say, am I going to go blind? Do I still need to worry about this? Like maybe there's like a one in a million chance that a tiny bit of filler that's in a blood vessel might affect your vision afterwards. It's really unlikely. I'm not going to say that to them. Mm. I'm going to say, no, <laughs> Yeah. don't worry about it because the the one in a billion theoretical possibilities is, is does not help an anxious person. You, yeah. you just need to give them what, what is likely that's going to be true for them, which is absolutely, you've got nothing to worry about, go and enjoy your life and stop worrying about it. Okay. Um, so th- there's th- that's an important way of communicating with, uh, with, new- with anxious people, give them certainty. Can we just go back to medical history that we've mentioned? So th- there are a few things that makes, make lump- lumps in the lips more likely. Um, I believe that's things like autoimmune conditions. So some examples being Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, psoriasis, lupus so there's, yeah. a, there's a huge, huge list of them um atopic individuals that's people with eczema asthma hay fever and um, so anyone who's got an overactive immune system essentially yeah. so even if you had a virus or a, a bacterial infection that would be a reason not to treat mm-hmm. oh could we touch on that just briefly um because i get asked this a lot on courses um virus is very common especially during winter to have a virus mm. is there a level to which you do treat and you don't like personally i i say a sniffle um, and the occasional sneeze you know that that's probably going to be okay but anyone on antibiotics anyone actively feverish i'm not going to treat yeah do i think I, I think i agree with that i mean we're all going to have multiple viruses uh, with filler in our system if you've been injected you're going to you're going to be exposed to that 
Um, but it does make sense not when there's a raging reaction, as you say, with a fever, systemic reaction or a bacterial infection and, and antibiotics. Those things uh, are, seem to me to be much more likely that you're going to have enough immune re reactivity that it's going to react to the filler. So it makes sense um, not to treat. Having said that, obviously, people tend to have that kind of infection you know, once every year or maybe for some people more often than that. Um, and we don't see that many reactions in, in response to that. So it does, it, you've still got a chance. But, um, but yeah, I think it's a sensible thing to avoid given that you've got the information. Okay. So as well as these, what are classed as immune reactive patients, the ACE guidelines um, have done an article on delayed onset nodules. They also say that um, lumps are more common in HIV positive patients trying to figure out why that might be um, whether it's medication related or immune related but that's something just wor worth bearing in mind yeah um that there so it's those it's those I, it's interesting that i read that as well and thought why when they've got a decrease in the in, in immune system and i wonder mm. if there's part of their immune system that reacts is overreacting in compensation i don't it might be something like that yeah um, but i'm not sure okay so that's how that's how those are those are that's our patient mm. do you should have a picture now healthcare their their medical state allergies and their background and psychological state so next bit is what's actually happened to them okay yeah so the procedure what they had done that's right yeah so for me this is this is the, it's almost like the plot of of the story yeah so they have all this background stuff and then something happened to them and that's really important if you want to understand what happened next so did they have three injections in their top lip or did they have you know 30 injections all over their whole face um did they have one mil or 10 mils did they did they faint during the procedure did they panic afterwards and send 100 messages did they get a huge hematoma um and then you know they're coming back three months later with a lump because that's relevant so you you want to you want to be thinking about when when they were treated relative to the symptoms and when they're presenting how they were treated, so with what instrument, so it could be cannula, needle, how many injections. Mm. Uh, what was injected is obviously really vitally important because that's going to change your management hugely. Mm. Um, and you should get, you should then have, there's almost like an, another little story. So the patient's big story, then the, the little story, the procedure that happens. And that should give you a really clear sense of, of what they've been exposed to uh, that takes you to the next step. And that's why very comprehensive uh, note-taking is absolutely key here because you, you're not going to remember exactly what technique you used and if there was a bruise at the time or what amount of swelling unless you note those things down they might seem trivial at the time but I know it's difficult with time sometimes in, in clinic to actually write these things up but we should be as comprehensive as possible shouldn't we yeah I think that's about you can rely on and as I said this is also a GP thing which is you can say did my standard lip procedure like you could say that because mm -hmm. you know what that is and as long as your colleagues know what, roughly what that is yeah but the unusual thing should be documented yeah yeah that's got a good a, way of thinking got a big hematoma is unusual yeah so you've got your you, otherwise you can get overwhelmed you know like a junior junior doctors write reams and reams and all of it's negative and then as you get more more experienced you write the positives um not like <laughs> no headache no this no you, you have your little jackal type type uh, yeah, yeah. abbreviation yeah i like that that's a good idea so i'm going to start writing adam's signature lip treatment performed <laughs> today you we'll have to share the secret if you're going to use that oh no, no chance <laughs> no chance okay um so yeah we've talked about the patient and the procedure um so we're building up this story in our mind what what what, what comes next 
So the, the next thing is that actually, this is usually where people start, which is the symptoms. Um, right. So people jump to this, today. Yeah. So th this is where the patient starts, and it's often where the panicking clinician starts as well. Okay. I've got a lady with a lump in her lip or redness in her lip. What is it? So you, you're already ahead of the game if you've got yeah. the, this other information. So um, I like to think of this, firstly, there's the primary symptom. That's your presenting complaint, usually. I've got a painful lump is really different to I've got a lump. It's going to immediately get your mind thinking about different things. So the primary symptom is pain, or the primary symptom is, is a lump, or it's itchiness, which is actually something I've had a few times, um, or a swelling or asymmetry. The, those things will give you a good indication about whether this is an urgent medical problem or an aesthetic problem, um, and you, you're going to react very differently. So this is what you usually get over the phone, and if you're not the one answering the phone, you should, you should train your, whoever is answering the phone to ask a few questions so that you make sure you get your most important cases in front of you as soon as possible. Okay. So primary symptom pain, as we know, like we use mm -hmm. pain as a trigger for us to go through the uh, impending necrosis questions. Mm -hmm. So um, it's not likely someone would present with a lump that was actually impending necrosis, but it could happen because you just never know how people interpret things. So um, you, you, you want to quickly establish if there's pain and then ask a few questions to make sure that it's not impending necrosis. And one of them will be, when did you have your, proce your procedure? If it was three months ago, you can park the, side, the, the chance of it being necrosis. Yeah. And I'm guessing it would be colour, the other thing that patients can quite reliably report as well. Yeah. Colour of your lip. And of course, these days we have the luxury of camera phones Absolutely, and people yeah. can take pictures and send them, which does, does help a lot. Although there's been some good, uh, Dr. Natalie posted something in the forum of the difference between her patient's picture and her picture was <laughs> completely unrecognisable oh, on the same that. day. Yeah, really, one of them just looked horrendous. Yeah. And I don't know if she'd put a filter on it or something, <laughs> but Natalie picked it like a few hours later and it was t looked totally different. So you should right. bear that in mind. Yeah. So, yeah, so symptoms, where was I? So it, aggravating and relieving, relieving factors. Uh, secondary symptoms can be helpful. It's that kind of it's painful and there's a lump or um, there's a lump and it's a bit tender. Um, these things will, will help you as well decide what it is. If they've got fever as well, something like that. Yeah, absolutely. That would be huge. That would change things dramatically, that yeah. kind of thing. So, But it's not always what the patient volunteers, and this is where your, your inquiry is important, is yeah. that you ask a few, a few important things to make sure you rule out the really serious stuff before mm -hmm. you start to diagnose the more benign stuff. Mm -hmm. um, timing, as I said, is so vital. All of, these, all of the lip lumps that you can get have have a natural history they're not consistent so different stages of the process you're going to get a totally different history so you want to try and form that story of the lump as well so it was you know the hematoma one would be it, it started immediately with a big swollen lip that was that was you know dark in color and looked bruised and that slight that, that was really painful on the day and then less painful the next day and then just tender and gradually faded but then it didn't disappear now i have this this lump that's induration after a hematoma so um, knowing that whole process for each lump will really help you. Uh, but you've got to ask the questions, what was it like immediately after the procedure? What was it like the day after? What's it like today? Is it getting better or worse? Very GP type things. It's just, I, I know in GP, as soon as I hear something's getting better, I'm like, well, I'm not going to worry that much about it because it's getting better on its own. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're always looking for that process. Is it stuck? Is it improving or getting worse? Yeah. I'm assuming you're going to come on to things like the induration with the hematomas later, or shall we cover that? Yeah, because not everyone might know what what that is referring to. Sure. Yeah, we can. We'll try and cover the the kind of rarer and then the more common okay. causes of lump and and some of the natural history of some of the lumps, so that you can get develop a picture in your own head. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay, so 
we've built up this narrative, we've taken a good history and gathered the symptoms, the time course of the condition, any secondary symptoms such as fever. Um, what, wh where do we need to go from here then? So once you've, because getting all the information is one thing I do, once again, I'll just reiterate the same point, which is mm -hmm. make a story out of it. Because while you make that story, your brain is going to be pattern spotting and it will probably, uh, it'll probably come out with a diagnosis even before you've finished, you'll be thinking, well, I've asked, it, it can't be impending necrosis because of this aspect and that aspect. And these things, as you tell the story, become obvious. Without telling the story, they're not always obvious. So make a narrative, put everything together, put the timings in, mm -hmm. and you should, know, you should know a lot more by then. Um, and then the next stage is to know, that, know how this pattern is comparing with your common other diagnoses so that you can match the two together. Okay. So um, what about exam examining the uh, lumps then? What, what are we actually feeling for? Because I think a lot, of, a lot of the time people just give it a squeeze, um, take a photo, and then that's it. That's where the, the thought process stops. Yeah, um, you're right. So as always, a, a little system is great. I would start by looking, actually get the before photos out is really important because you mm. often, what is a lump? Um, I mean, the most interesting lump I've had is I've got a lump when I smile and... Uh, <laughs> Basically, she had a tooth that was slightly sticking out, and that that was always that way. But she had, she hadn't she was really examining herself. Yeah, now. you know she was you know and this is this is so common, isn't it? Yeah, because partly and this goes back to the anxious patient. The anxious yeah. patient leaves looking for certainty, so they look for problems to to solve. Mm. The less anxious patient goes away to enjoy their new life with the new lips, and they just love. They just take selfies and enjoy it. But, um, and then in between, there's the patient who was okay and then has a, a negative partner who goes, oh, I don't even like them, or they look a bit stupid, and then she develops anxiety and starts to look for problems, and they sometimes spot things that were there all along. The classic one is milia, uh, or, yeah. um, sorry, not milia, maybe, but I meant uh, four-dice spots. Mm -hmm. They've had them their whole life, and then suddenly they spot them after the procedure because they're they're examining so closely yeah and four dice spots are those little white lumps there can be hundreds of them can't they yeah and they're just little sebaceous glands i think aren't they yeah um completely normal um often like you say often not noticed till they examine really closely in mm. the mirror yeah yeah so going back to examination we what sort of things okay. do we want to feel for obviously size um, of the lump so we'd start, I start, start by looking before okay. and after pictures mm -hmm. and then look uh, at dynamic and static so that you're seeing how, how the lip's moving. Uh, is it to do with, for example, teeth? Uh, have you just added volume over a, a tooth that's add volume and, and okay. now you're seeing a lump that's not actually a lump? Mm -hmm. um, is it, uh, uh, and uh, dynamic as well is important because that, that can give you a clue to where the movement is in the lip and if you're shifting filler around through movement, it might, it might give you a clue. Um, and then once you've, you might look inside the lip as well. In certain cases, you know, if you've got a big hematoma or you want to rule out um, blood vessel injury, then it might help to look inside as well. Uh, and once you've got all of that, then you can move on to feeling the lump, which mm -hmm. I, I think is still the most useful bit is that actual palpation and, and feeling what you, what's going on underneath the skin. Okay. Uh, so take us through what we should be feeling for. So um, well, the first thing I do is, is basically using the inside of the lip so it's slippery I just feel it and de demarcate the area and I'm just trying to find the size of it uh, and that's helpful it can tell you tell you a little bit about whether it's bigger than any amount of filler you put in if you've got a collection there it's going to feel more than a mil and it's going to be very obvious this is something extra there's, there's an 
there's a reactive component here rather than just fill out as a lump if it feels too big. Mm -hmm. um, you also want to feel, is it, is it in integrated into the skin? Induration tends to be hard, like it's harder to demarcate. So induration is like fibrous tissue. Okay. So it, 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 feels, um, it feels more kind of blended in with the surrounding mm. tissue. Um, if it's, it's hard to feel it as like a separate lump. Yeah, yeah, like a general fullness with a bit of texture to it. Yeah. Um, you often get that just from injections, hematomas, um, and they fade on their own. Mm. Um, really hard filler, like that's really obvious when you feel this. And you often, see, I, I'm pretty sure, you, I, I see this on Instagram where people go like, "Look at this problem I solved," and due to bad technique, you know, they, they love to blame the, pre the previous practitioner and mm. take credit for solving it. Some of those are, are reactions because it, you, no one injects in such a bad way that you get so many lumps. You just wouldn't leave the clinic that way. There's got to be some reactive component going on. Okay. Um, so that you often get these very hard lumps, which I which I find I think those ones, if you leave them untreated, will, will are semi permanent. They can last for years. I certainly had one patient who didn't have us treated. Previous practitioner came and saw me. She'd had them for eight nine years. Wow. Um, Interesting. I've been my patient now for about six years, and they did disappear. But they were, you know, nearly a decade on, and they suddenly I saw her. And I, every time I injected, I didn't really like the sensation because I always feel and check. So I'd had a, done various procedures, and then one procedure they were just gone. So they can fade. Yeah, that's what this article on ACE does say. Actually, most granulomas actually eventually disappear. It can take years, but that can be some reassurance to clients yeah. as well, can't it? That's nice to know. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, what else am I feeling for? Um, tenderness is important. Yeah. So tenderness is your is a, a really strong sign that there's a reactive component, um, or possibly a bruise. I mean, reactive can be due to bruising. So mm. often, if it's like a week after the procedure and you squeeze it, it's still tender because blood causes inflammation. Mm. I remember learning this in surgery. If you spill a bit of blood in a peritoneum, the patient's in a lot more pain afterwards, even if you try and suck most of it out. And that's that reactive Just irritates the surrounding tissues yeah. and the nerves. Yeah. It it causes. A healing response which is basically partly inflammatory mm -hmm. so um the same with bruising you're going to get more tenderness the more bruising you have and mm -hmm. that can sometimes cause um lay down a fibrous tissue and, and lumps okay so uh, size tenderness dynamic um, movements uh d the de demarcation integrated or separate um um firmness of it if it's much firmer than filler that's that's a red flag for me that that tells me reaction Okay. Um, if it feels because you are, you will get lumps and this is more of a technique one if you've got someone has a technique of injecting a bolus of 0.2 mils they're going to get lumps a lot and particularly as the filler attracts moisture and different fillers do this in different amounts you can on the day i certainly have this more with juvenile 3 than volift is that you um on the day it looks and feels fine and then a week or two later you suddenly have a lump that's just a filler lump and those just need massaging yeah um, but that's to do with attracting water and then integrating and i always remember you telling me actually that th one of the key things when you're treating someone is the the massage afterwards um, that's a big part of treatment um, yeah. and particularly with lips but anywhere on the face a good firm massage afterwards can prevent a lot of these follow-ups and prevent these clumps of filler presenting a week later yeah when the patient's found it I have um I have heard it said by some practitioners almost in a judgmental way that oh, if you're a good injector you shouldn't need to massage. So I actually got a close up when I was filming Lip Masters. I got a close up of being in the right plane, injecting really slowly some Volift, and you just see the the product underneath the skin just track off on this random 
position which is not where i intended it and mm. that's it's just following the low pressure route in the tissue yeah so we don't have 100 percent control of it with a needle tip it's just nonsense to, to pretend that you can get it perfectly smooth by doing magic with the needle the tissue is interacting with the filler and the filler this this interface between tissue and filler is is organic and unpredictable yeah so we need to get as much control of it as possible yeah. which is where the massage comes nice in afterwards. the massage would it be fair to say things like fluctuants would be important? Yes, that's yeah, that would be really important. If you had a, a big mass that was fluctuant, obviously you're thinking about an abscess, and that's a, a very different management plan to uh, to many other kinds of lumps. So yeah, we're definitely. And you might you might see discharge with that as well, or pus. Yep. Things like that. Redness, inflammation, um, discharge. Yeah. Okay, so I think that probably covers most of the examination. Would you say? Things yeah. we should be looking um, out for. I didn't mention cold sores and, okay. and a history of cold sores. This you can actually sometimes pick up before you do the treatment. You know, so I don't know if you've seen someone with a blurred vermilion border. They kind of have scarring from years mm. of cold sores, and, and the pink-white border is blurred. Yeah. Um, so that's an indication that they get them frequently. Um, and then a cold sore. Now, I couldn't figure it because I've seen someone who's with a really, basically an abscess that was described as a cold sore abscess. And I'm... I always picture cold sores being more on the surface of the of the skin, and I wonder how much of that is an inter is both cold sores and and a bacterial infection. And I did when I was reading a little bit up on this, a lot of abscesses, if you have cold sores, have um, hepatic activity as well. So you 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 get both going oh, together. Okay. So um, it can be a cold sore that triggers an abscess. So right, useful to bear in mind for for what treatment you would give them. Yeah, because you might use both antibiotics a and antibiotics. Okay. Yeah, that's really useful to know. Okay, so anything else you want to talk about examination or shall we move move on? Um, I think that is probably everything. So we should have a, a very vivid picture now of what this patient looks like, feels like, and has come from and what's happened to them. Okay, now let's see how we're doing. We've, we're half an hour into it. <laughs> I think maybe we should, should we cover causes next week. Yeah, I, I think maybe doing this in two parts might be better because there's a lot to, we still have, we haven't even got to the, yeah. uh, the meat of it. Um, but you, you should, anyone who's listened to this should have a very good idea how to create the picture. And I yeah. promise you that's the, that's the hardest bit. And it's the key part, yeah. isn't it? And once you know the key diagnosis, which we're going to cover next, once you know the key different causes of lumps, you're going to be able to do, you're going to be able to handle them quickly as well. So the, the hardest bit is, is assimilating the, the information. Okay. Well, yeah, this was really useful. Um, so hopefully we can rejoin next week for part two of Lumps in the Lips. Yeah. Sound good? Fantastic. Right. Okay. We will see you then. We forgot to do our tip of the week. Our consultation tip. Consultation tip. Of the we week. didn't do our clinical hack of the week either. Go on, on the spot then. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> you brought it up. I shouldn't. I should have said nothing. Yeah. You've... Oh. Um, let me give you um, one that's about uh, client retention. So I say to people at the end of consultations, I, I, want, I want to say something that's related to their happiness and doesn't instill fear. <laughs> so if you say, if you have any problems, get back in touch with us, that's almost like you send them away thinking about problems. So I'd, I'd rather send them away with something that's, that's uh, more positive. And I'll, I'll say something like, I'm really I'm happy with this result, but just remember your happiness is really important to me. So anything we can do to improve that, please get in touch with us. And it's a, it's a more positive way of ending. And it's, you know, it's brand building and they know that you care and you're not just about the procedure and see you later. Um, so I, I like to end the consultation like that. At the end of the That's day. a great phrase. G give me that one again. Um, I'm probably going to say it differently <laughs> now. <but laughs>
So your uh, your your happiness is. Uh, I'm I'm happy with the procedure, but uh-huh. your happiness is really important to me. So let us know if there's anything that we can do to make make things better for you afterwards. And then Great. we of course we text them routinely um, yeah. to ask them how they're getting on, which I also recommend. I know lots of uh, independent practitioners do that as well. They'll just text them. Partly it's for their own mental health because they don't yeah. worry anymore. You know when you when you first start. Yeah. Um, but I think it's a really nice thing. Increases increases client retention and trust. And of course, the most important thing for us in this whole business is relationships so mm-hmm. it's a it's a bit like being on a date with someone you kind of you you don't if you want to see them again you don't just say you don't just talk about that date say thanks it was great bye yeah <laughs> you want to leave the door open an invitation to stay in touch is quite nice yeah i like your approach to psychology because it, it really helps with not only a good consultation but a happy patience and retention rates isn't it yeah so um i think that's really important how, how did you get into to psychology it's something you've always been interested in because i know you you and miranda do a lot of reading around this um yeah i think um i, I must have a my, my dad's a psychologist but i wouldn't yeah. say i necessarily talked about it all the time but mm. I, I think i've realized i realized that, that most of your problems are psychological and you know <laughs> most of in fact everything is so even if it, it doesn't matter what the situation is if you ignore the psychology and you talk about the facts you're going to miss 70 percent of the, of what's going on so interacting between people is all psychological it's um it's i sometimes think of it with marketing you've got me off on a spiel now you know i used to go to lots of salons and you'd see the ad- advertisement for a new treatment they do and sometimes it's same information but mm. they write it on some a4 paper and it's a totally different message so I'm, I'm always interested in the underlying message what's really going on it's not about the words or the message it, there's an underlying thing going on so for example with this with the patient leaving it's not necessarily about ending the consultation or indicating it's the end it's about um how they feel leaving i want them to feel in a positive frame of mind and but knowing that i care about the outcome so that's the key message it's not it's it well, doesn't there's that phrase that people don't remember what you said to them but they remember how you made them feel oh, and i, I think that, that's yeah. almost what you're getting at here isn't it you're leaving them with that feeling of positivity and care absolutely yeah, yeah. it's a it's that's such a great saying and i've also flicking back of pictures of my patients over the years mm. that's what i remember it's so interesting that i'll be like oh i like her can't remember anything about her mm. but i know I, I know i liked her yeah um, and it's just that it's so true I, I did mention this in a previous podcast but i i have started writing in my notes uh, about what we've talked about so if someone has been to australia or they've had a death in the family i'll write just a, a few lines and what it does it allows me to remember that narrative about the patient so when i bring them into my room I can instantly start talking about that and it's not it's not like cheating them that i'm pretending but they just like the fact that you've taken the care to remember something about them yeah even if it is written down but yeah. and it's definitely worked because I, I see people's face when they when they're shocked that i can remember the name of their new girlfriend for example um like, oh, that, yeah yeah things are going well and instantly that rapport is back and that trust is back yeah that's great. I love that as well. You should have saved that for a consultation tip of the week. Well, we've already done it before, really. I'm cheating. I'm recycling them because I've run out. <laughs> it's nice, though. So. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you for listening to Aesthetics Mastery. Okay, thanks, thanks for Dr. listening. Tim. Yeah. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.